The Abuse Pendulum, Part 1, on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. I am thrilled today to have with us Dr. Jim Neuheiser. He's a director of the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, known as IBCD, which is one of our training centers here at ACBC. And he's the director of the Christian Counseling Program at RTS Charlotte. He's also full professor of Christian Counseling and Practical Theology at RTS Charlotte. Dr. Neuheiser serves as a board member for ACBC and also on the Biblical Counseling Coalition. For 25 years, Dr. Neuheiser served as a preaching pastor at Grace Bible Church in Escondido, California, before taking over the Christian Counseling Program at RTS Charlotte in 2016. He now oversees all the counseling degree options, including the 66-credit hour MA in Christian Counseling. Dr. Neuheiser teaches many of the counseling courses, as well as some practical theology courses there at RTS Charlotte. Dr. Neuheiser has been married to his wife, Caroline, for 42 years, and they have three adult children. Dr. Neuheiser, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about this very important topic. Very glad to be with you, Dale. Now, we're going to jump in and, and talk about this issue of abuse. And, and listen, this, this issue, and rightfully so to some degree, is exploding everywhere. When we talk about this issue of abuse, it, it, for number one, it's very, very sensitive. And, and again, rightfully so. Number two, we have seen that, you know, some have really, really failed, and maybe even us included. We're going to talk about that some today as well. And so I, I want us to look at this idea of abuse, Dr. Neuheiser, if we can. O- obviously, from a biblical perspective, I want us to see through that lens, but I also want us to be tender toward those who have experienced some level of abuse. And I want us to evaluate this on some level in ways that we can do better as we approach this issue of abuse. Now, I want to I want to set this in the context of of understanding that, listen, we have proper expectations, but we're never going to be perfect on this. We are finite people who don't know everything that there is to know. Not everything there is to know about abuse, and and sometimes we don't know abuse that's happening in the counseling room, and so we have to give ourselves a little bit of grace as we approach this. But we want to be as clear as possible. We want to be as insightful as possible as counselors, because some people are, are walking through unbelievable difficulty in abusive situations and abusive relationships. And so we want to be as keen as possible to, to do what we can to care well and to help in situations like this. Now, I want to begin, if we can, with this topic of abuse. And I want to get your estimation here, Dr. Neuheiser, on why you think right now abuse is such a hot topic. Well, Dale, in recent years, the lid has been blown off of the amount of abuse going on in families in the churches, and sometimes the failure of the churches to deal with this in terms of discipline and protection. There's also been problems, of course, with church leaders who have, a lot of this been sexual abuse, and there has been, on the part of many churches, a failure to protect the victims, a failure to hold people accountable. I think what was hidden before in terms of how much abuse there is right now has come to the fore. And so the awareness level is high. And in addition to people being extraordinarily upset over the mistreatment of 
mostly women, children also. I think the outrage recently has been over the failure of people in spiritual authority to hold perpetrators accountable and to protect victims. And there's a massive amount of evidence, and of course, some is now going back for decades, supporting the reality of those failures. And so here we are, and it's a tough time. Yeah, it's no doubt a tough time. And I, I want to make a little bit of clarification. I think it's unbelievable that the position that we find ourselves in right now and some of that, as you rightfully articulated, we've made mistakes and, and we have to own some of those mistakes. Now, one of the things I want to make clear is, is we have a tendency in situations like this to, to run to the polemics, run to the poles of extreme. And we have to be very cautious. And I think even the way that you've approached this in some blogs recently that we've posted on our website at, at biblicalcounseling.com, on this pendulum swinging back and forth when, as it relates to abuse, we have to be cautious and careful to, to understand that, listen, in this whole process, there have been evil actors. There's no question about that. But we have to understand there are degrees of culpability with some folks in this whole realm of abuse. I mean, some people... They don't. Some people have bad intention. No question about that. Some people intentionally hid things that they ought not to be hiding. They should bring to the light, even those who are spiritual leaders. But then there are some people who had no intention of further harming. Maybe they didn't know what was going on at the time. They didn't have knowledge to to make some sort of decision, and they fall into this category now. As people look back, hindsight twenty twenty. And there, there's a lot of assumption here that there was manipulation involved and that sort of thing. And, and we have to approach this issue of abuse with tenderness and care on both sides before we heap culpability on the heads of different people. So we have to be cautious here. Now, one of the things that we can see very clearly in all of this, you sort of alluded to, but I want you to go a little bit further here where we talk about our failures. We in conservative churches have failed. I don't think there's a question about this. We have made mistakes. The Bible makes clear that that when we see ourselves as a as a collective group of the people of God and we see failure happening, that there should be some form of collective repentance. That is certainly true. And the way we acknowledge that is by acknowledging some of our failures. So talk for just a second, if you can, about the places that you see conservative churches have failed regarding this particular issue of abuse. Yeah, Dale, I appreciate your effort to make a difference between those who have covered up abuse really out of malice and those who out of, I would say, culpable ignorance failed to do as well as they should. And so there are people who knew about horrific acts or even participated in horrific acts and they should never be in ministry again. That's one thing. But I'll give you just my own background as I my training began in biblical counseling in the 80s. And at that time, there was the rise of no-fault divorce and feminism and rejection of biblical complementarianism. And so when Jesus said, what God has joined, let no man put asunder in Matthew 19, we felt a need to protect marriage. And there were often people who, for completely unbiblical reasons, just marriage was a bit tough. And you know, they married a guy, they realized maybe their soulmate could be somewhere else or whatever they're thinking. And so there was a great emphasis upon protecting marriage, which is a biblical principle. And I think with reference to abuse, they would almost make fun of you know the term that would be used in the legal court, like mental cruelty or something like that. And kind of the way I was taught to think initially was that if there's not blood or broken bones or bruises, that it's a conflict they need to work out. And I think all of us 
learned over the years in the biblical counseling movement, including those of us in ACBC, that you can harm somebody terribly, and Proverbs talks about you destroy someone with your words. And even in cases that I have faced, where you know there is, in some of the terms used even by the secular experts, I think in common grace, they identify behaviors yeah. of manipulation, using the children, money, keeping someone from talking to family and friends, keeping them from getting help, misusing the biblical headship in the family on the part of a husband. And so these things, and sometimes in great degree, were going on. And I can say personally, in my quest to defend marriage, I've had to go back even to women and say, the pressure I put on you to stay, if I was handling a case like this now, I realize, well, I can't tell you to leave, I don't think I can tell you you're not free to leave. And even 1 Corinthians 7 seems to picture a situation where a woman leaves but doesn't remarry. And I, I assume there's some reason she didn't want to. I also, my usual experience in these cases have been that Christian women really try a long time to stay before they think about leaving. It's not that they take lightly, oh, I'm going to go be happy, which is the worldly thing. But there are you know, godly women who sometimes have gone many miles of trying to make things work. And so I think in the past, I can say for myself that in the effort to protect marriage, and I think another thing we've been concerned would be to protect the reputation of someone being accused, we did not do well enough at protecting victims. We did not do well enough at holding accountable, even to the point of church discipline, uh, those who are the perpetrators. And this is where I especially feel a burden that we as ACBC are a training and certifying organization. And I don't think we did well enough. And again, I started in a training role as a fellow in the 90s. I can confess that I don't think I did well enough, and I don't think most of us did well enough at equipping people we were training to recognize the victim of abuse, to recognize the behaviors of an abuser, the manipulations of an abuser, and encouraging people of their biblical right to be safe from horrible mistreatment, even if it's not physical violence. And like I said, I've had to go back to people, and they've generally been very gracious about that. And so I agree that there's some that are in right now in the news that it was virtually criminal and certainly disqualifying with malice. I don't think you or I have been in that category, but I think you know, those of us who claim to be biblical counselors and experts and trainers, if we're ignorant, it's culpable ignorance because we've got the Bible, and the Bible also does speak of holding people accountable and other kinds of mistreatments. So I think we should admit where we fell short, and we should strive to be better. Yeah, amen to that. And and those are just a few of the ways I think we could we could definitely acknowledge some of our failures in the conservative church. I, I want to get in just a second to talking about some of those failure, failures specifically in the biblical counseling movement. And you, you alluded to some of those, but, but first I want us to to revisit even this idea of, of authority. When we talk about authority, it's really important that yeah, we understand God has delegated aspects of authority to human stewards, whether that be government, church, or family. And all of those are given caveats to obey those authorities in the Lord. And that's a caveat that sometimes I think we forget. It's not at, at all cost. And so we, we have to acknowledge that as a limitation as well. Now, several things that you mentioned, I, I happen to be reading in the book of Job this morning. And one of the things that you see with the counselors in the book of Job is 
they say a lot of true things. They say a lot of right things about God, but one of the key aspects is they forget the context in which they're speaking, or they, they don't know the context in which they're speaking, and that was for a number of reasons. They didn't listen well. They didn't hear fully what was going on. They made assumptions and that sort of thing. And so we can say a lot of right things. We say it in the wrong context, and therefore it's not a proper outcome that's pleasing to the Lord. I, that sounds to me a lot like what you're describing, where we, we have a desire in the conservative church, especially in the context of no-fault divorce and so on. We want to uphold marriage. We want to ask people to endure and to walk faithful and that sort of thing. And, and that's not bad counsel. That's good counsel. Those are true things, but maybe not in the right context, particularly when we look at this issue of abuse. Give me some thoughts that you have on that. Well, you know, it's only you mentioned that the first time I thought that at some time I've been like Job's counselors, and that really hurts me to think that people were hurting and suffering, and I did not sympathize with them as I should have, or now I'm, I'm told I need to empathize as well. But mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, and so I think there is some truth to our having failed in that way. You put it very well, saying true things, but not adequately understanding the context of their suffering. Mm-hmm. And so, and I also really appreciate your point that I find that abusers tend ironically to be experts in Ephesians 5, 25, and they misuse it to demand absolute authority over their wives in terms of even how the money is spent, how the children are raised, who she can talk to, mm-hmm. which is nothing of what that authority was given for. Ironically, these are the same men who have never read Hebrews 13, 17, which is there to submit to the church authority. Or Ephesians, you know, they're experts in Ephesians 5.22, I should say, of wives submit, but they themselves are not submissive to the authorities over them. They don't use Ephesians 5.25, their authority to serve and to love. And it's really caused harm. One of the worst things about this debacle has been that, especially when the secular experts will say that claims of male authority are the cause of abuse. And then there are even Christians who are almost saying, well, now we need to reject complementarianism and embrace egalitarianism because of the misuse or the abuse of authority by certain men. And I can see how some of these men acting like selfish jerks could lead to that reaction. That's an overread. That's the pendulum you were talking about. You know, the answer is not to obliterate the roles that God has established, but it's to enforce them, mm-hmm. holding them accountable to treat their wives the way the Bible says they're supposed to in a self-sacrificing Christ-like love and not being domineering and selfish. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, people who claim to be complementarian have caused a lot of the problems in the present by their horrible example. I think all we can do be in our own marriages, but also in our counseling to model what that headship really is, and also to acknowledge that submission does not mean that a, a wife has to subject herself to horrible mistreatment and has no recourse in terms of church authority or even civil authority. And then we as church authority need to take it seriously, these accusations, these concerns, and, and hold men accountable. Amen. I think that's so true. Now, I want us to to circle back and talk about some of our failures in the biblical counseling movement. And I think we have to be we have to be honest here. And and I think we would acknowledge, Jim, that there was no intention to mislead, mistreat, manipulate folks. That that's not the intention. As we say, I think sometimes we 
we may want some of the right things, but we're wanting to apply a, a different truth to to a false context or a wrong context. As I think about this, I, I think they're my own context in the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, we are certainly you know paying some of the prices for this manipulation, this not dealing with abuse well. Right now, our own convention is is not doing well. So I want us to talk a little bit about some of these failures that you see in the biblical counseling movement. And again, you've been a part of the movement for quite some time in its 45-year history. And so I think you give some pretty good context for where we are, where we've been, where we are now, and, and hopefully where we're going. Yeah, I think that we need, you know, one thing we probably need to talk about would be the biblical basis for someone who's under oppression to have the freedom to get away from the oppression. I love the story of Abigail in 1 Samuel 25, and when her husband, you know, defied David and the whole family was about to get killed because of Nabal's foolishness, Abigail went against Nabal, her husband's wishes, took significant family resources to feed David, also verbally to placate him. This was completely against her husband's wishes, but it was to save her family's lives, her the household. And as she's not portrayed as some rebellious wench who went against a husband. She was portrayed as a great, wise woman, a hero of the faith, amazingly bringing David to renounce a sinfully made vow. And that would be an example. You have the example of Paul escaping those who are oppressing him in the book of Acts through the wall of the city, even Jesus in John 10, when it wasn't his time, that he got away from people seeking to harm him. So I think there's a level of danger. And again, it goes beyond merely the physical. I think that when the Proverbs describe how with his tongue, a man destroys his neighbor, that, you know, I've, I've heard of men saying things that I would rather be physically beaten Mm. in some cases than some of the things men say and do and the manipulations they make. And so I think we should have taken those more seriously. And, you know, I've had more cases of women hanging in there longer than I would have encouraged them to Mm. than giving up too quickly. But, you know, to acknowledge their freedom in those situations, I think also just we've learned some common grace, common sense practices that if a woman is in the room with a pastor and her husband, there are only two men there and the husband is intimidating. And so she needs a woman in the room. And it may mean that she needs to be in the room without her husband to be able to tell her story because of that intimidation factor. So there's a lot we just have learned. Mm -hmm. And again, I would say on my part, it's culpable ignorance. Mm -hmm. And I look back and I say, how could I have not known some of these things before? Mm -hmm. And and now we need to be proactive in teaching, Mm -hmm. better teaching, even recognizing indications that a woman is being mistreated. That sometimes when you hear how something comes out, and this can even be sexual abuse by someone in authority or physical abuse by a husband, often there are very small indications initially. They are confused. That you know the popular term now is gaslighted or something. Mm-hmm. But um, and I think we need to realize if if you're the one to whom she begins to share these things, there's a big responsibility to take these concerns very very seriously. And to become an advocate for that person, to you know, just make sure they are safe and that they're getting, you know, the godly counsel they may need and the protection they may need. Because sometimes there are just minor indications. I know of a true story one time where 
the secretary in a pastor's office many years ago saw a woman come out of a private session with the pastor just looking extremely uncomfortable and unhappy. And the secretary had the sensitivity to speak to the woman privately and just say, look, you looked really uncomfortable there. And it was revealed actually the pastor had been praying for this woman while fondling her breasts. Mm. And he had been under others, but yeah, the secretary, I think, was wise to ask the extra question because mm. she said something may be wrong. People who are being mistreated don't wear badges saying, my husband is screaming at me all the time and won't let me spend money. Mm-hmm. And then we need to be step, stepping in quickly, not to assume guilt, but to understand, to protect. And of course, if it's something that is a criminal matter, then to report. Yeah, well said. And and listen, we're we're getting a little long today, but what I what I want to do is I want to make sure that we revisit some of these ideas. I want to talk about some of the positive developments because I, I think we have learned to some degree based on some of our failures. And listen, this is one of the things that I that I talk to my sons specifically about is is boys, listen, it, it's okay. You're going to fail. You're going to do things that, that are not well done, that that sometimes with intention, sometimes out of ignorance. But what makes you more foolish is if you don't pay attention to the ways in which you fail and learn from those and grow from those. And I think that's important for us here, that we can take some evaluation, pay attention, even if it is out of ignorance relative to our culpability here, that we pay attention to these things, that that we acknowledge, that we grow in these. And I think you've done a good job of helping us to see just some of the ways that we've maybe made mistakes and not handled some of these situations well. And and really, our culture has gotten itself into... uh, Quite a quite a bad situation relative to abuse and and at the church of all people we need to do better at this. Doctor Neuheiser, thanks for talking about this issue. Sure. I just want to add one thing. Sure, it's really important, and that is what you said about admitting when we got it wrong. I think for some of the women where we've failed in the past to protect them well, they're not looking for us to do penance or go to purgatory, but I think it can mean a lot to them for us just to say we now recognize that we should have done better, that these are the things we did wrong, that we take responsibility, we repent. Again, not with malice, like you've said, but ignorance is not an excuse when you let not many of you be teachers, brethren, because we will encourage stricter judgment. I think if we go humbly and say we've learned, and I think they find great comfort saying in the future, we really want to do better. And we affirm what you've been through. I found that, you know, the women with whom I've spoken have been very gracious and encouraging. We've done that. So I think taking a humble posture is important, and I think it can do a lot of healing. Agreed, brother. And listen, I want us to continue this conversation as we talk about even repentance in this way, in ways that we've grown, learning from some of these mistakes. And uh, since we've run out of time today, we'll try and do that next week. Thank you, brother. listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. Again, I'm so grateful for Jim Neuheiser and his willingness to to at least wade into the waters of a very difficult subject. And we're going to talk about this again next week on the podcast as well, this issue of abuse. And listen, I want to remind you of a resource that Dr. Neuheiser has, has put out. There's a series of four blogs, and they are under the title, The Abuse Pendulum. And I would encourage you to go read those. We can connect those in the show notes for you. I think it would be a helpful resource to get to get a full picture of some of the shades and the way that we 
have to think biblically about these types of issues of abuse. So stay tuned even next week for our podcast. I do want to mention one other thing that I think would be helpful is we are exhibiting this week at the Great Homeschool Convention in Round Rock, Texas, July 7 to 9. And one of the primary reasons we're doing that is because of a resource that we released last year, and we're trying to get that out to the public. It's a high school homeschool curriculum that we've devoted to biblical counseling. I think it's a great replacement for social sciences in Christian schools and also in your homeschool curriculum. It's intended for high school juniors and seniors. Of course, any high school students, if parents think that the child is mature enough, I think could could handle it. But it's a curriculum that talks through some of the concepts of biblical counseling, provides case studies for children to think through, and also books for them to read and to, to work alongside with. So if you're interested in that resource and you're in Round Rock, Texas, come visit us. If you're not, you can find out more about this particular curriculum and our other resources at biblicalcounseling.com.